morning, everybody. It's good to see all of you. It's great to be back. I uh, appreciate uh, Chris Boyer did a fantastic job uh, last Sunday. Really appreciated that. And I'm very, very, I'm very, very excited about uh, our series that we're doing because uh, I believe it's going to help all of us. And if you're visiting here with us today, it's great to have you here with us. I want you to feel welcome uh, to be a part of our service and uh, to celebrate this Memorial Day. There's no better place to celebrate it than than right here. And, you know, I got to give a quick shout out to, uh, you know, what we're celebrating this weekend. You know, uh, I'm first generation immigrant of uh, my mom and dad who were, you know, in Cuba. And they basically fled communism in 1959. And had this country not been here, we'd have had no place to go. And, uh, you know, don't get me started, but I just want you guys to know how grateful I am for my freedom that I have here. Because, you know, had I grown up there, been born there, I wouldn't be able to do this. I wouldn't be able to have this. Wouldn't have, wouldn't, wouldn't have been able to meet my uh, American wife. Well, she's not really American. She's Italian-Irish wife. Because bottom line is all of us are immigrants, right? But I'm grateful that I could be born here, not there. Uh, and, and I'm very thankful for this country. So let's jump back into our study. That's, that's a freebie for USA. But today we're, uh, we're, we're in part three of our series called Christian. And we've been looking at this this uh, this topic, Christian, because it's not what you think. And today we're going to the title of our, our lesson series is called Insiders, Outsiders, Insiders, Outsiders. And, you know, in this this word that we've been looking at, Christian or Christianity, we really don't know what it means. It's not clear. We think we know what it means because we throw it around a lot. It's been used a lot. As even if you saw on the on the screen, it's it's everywhere on the Internet. Uh, and, and I believe there's, you know, uh, close to one hundred and seventy eight thousand people that identify in this country was calling themselves. Hey, I'm a Christian, you know, but it's a very vague term that we've been talking about the last few weeks. And, you know, how do you know that it's so vague is because you have people on both sides of almost every issue in this country, uh, you know, they, they call themselves Christians, but they're on both sides of, of every issue, both sides of wars. You know, two countries have gone to war and both sides are saying, yeah, we're a Christian nation. How does that work on political arguments? You've got both sides saying we're Christian, you know, legal arguments. We're Christian. How is that? Even family members that don't speak to each other, you know, during holidays, maybe this holiday, there's people that are not looking forward to going and spending time with their family because they haven't spoke to each other in years. And guess what? Those family members, both of them that don't speak to each other, both of them say, I'm a Christian. And you go, wait a second, that doesn't make sense. And the reality of it is you can believe just about anything you want. And call yourself a Christian. And you can live a lifestyle about anything you want and call yourself a Christian. And this is what we looked at a few weeks ago. Christian was a word manufactured in the first century to describe followers of Jesus by people who were not followers. So it's not even a, a word that we came up with, that followers of Jesus came up with. It was it was identified, it was manufactured by people on the outside, not on the inside. And the term used by followers to describe themselves is, you get a star for the day. Disciples. This is the word that was used when followers wanted to identify with each other. And if you ask somebody, who are you? They wouldn't say, I'm a Christian. They would say, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a disciple. I'm somebody that follows him. And this word, this word disciple is, is so terrifying. Why is it so terrifying? Because it's so clear. I mean, it is crystal clear what it means in the New Testament. In fact, this word is used over 200 times in the New Testament. Whereas the word Christians only used three times and it's really not defining anything. 
And, you know, as I said, you can be a Christian and believe whatever you want. You can adopt any lifestyle you want and say you're a Christian. But if you say you're a disciple, whoa, then you can't throw that around loosely. You can't identify with that word because it's super, super clear what it means. Christians, Christian is all about what people believe. Christian is all about what people believe, but disciple is all what all about what a person does. Big difference. You know, I don't know if I shared this a couple uh, a couple of weeks ago, but I studied marketing in college. And one of the classes that I had to take for my degree was marketing survey. And what I had to do for my project was go out and survey the market, which was my college campus. And I had to go out and take a survey and find out what people's mentality is about a certain product so that we as a marketing department could meet that need. Right. I was going into the ministry. I already knew it. I had a year left of my business degree. So guess what I decided to do for my project? I tackled this term right here. I surveyed about 100 people. And you know what they say is if you do a survey correctly, a marketing survey correctly, you basically can blanket the whole college campus and say, this is the mentality of the college campus. I got an A on my project. Isn't that cool? But here's what I discovered, uh, you know, a little bit of time ago. I can't say how long because that would date me. But it was a while back. Same thing happens today. What I found out in my market survey, Christian and disciple, people don't associate as the same thing. There's a difference. And it was like 100% of all college students on my college campus in this marketing survey, they said, Christian is this, disciple is this, and they're not the same. Interesting. Isn't it? But if you consider yourself a Christian today, it's important for us to look at how people on the outside see us. And there's a problem right now in our society with people that look in and see us. What do they see? And what they see is they don't see Jesus. They see somebody with an ideology. They see somebody with you know, uh, a habit of or, or a practice of going to church or thinking a certain thing, but they don't see Jesus. In fact, they would say, you know, I know you're a Christian and all, but you don't look like Jesus. You don't look like Jesus. And I'm not talking about the sandals and the robe and the long hair and the beard. I'm talking about the lifestyle, the heart, the overflow of what you're projecting to people. Through your message. And this is huge. This is why we're doing the series. is so that we can see this tension that exists with people out there. This past week, I went to uh, Mexico City uh, to work with the ministers there. Uh, and give them some of the training that we've been getting. And how we lead. And how we're you know, rolling out the church and doing things. They've actually requested it. Please come here. Please mentor us. Please help us. And so I was there. And on the college campus right now. Atheism is on the rise. This is in Mexico and this is all over the place. You ask college students, what do you believe? I don't really believe anything. I'm not sure I believe anything. And there's a reason for it. It's not so much that they're denying God. It's what they've seen of God has repelled them. There's pushback because they've seen a traditional religion. They've seen a traditional walk that has pushed them back. They're not seeing Jesus And that's the reason why we're doing this series, so we can iron out some of these wrinkles for the next generation, for our community. See, because in the first century, people were attracted to Christianity. That's how they were brought in. And, you know, you see this clearly from a quote, a very famous person in our society. He said this, Steve Jobs, in his biography. This was his quote. The Jews goes out of Christianity when it becomes too based on faith rather than on living like Jesus or seeing the world as Jesus saw it. This is an outsider. Steve Jobs was not a follower of Jesus. He was an outsider. This is him looking into what he saw from the outside when he looked at Christianity. 
And he said, the juice goes out of Christianity, meaning there's no power in it. There's no Jesus is not in that. The the, the juice goes out of Christianity when it becomes too based on a belief system or your faith rather than on living like Jesus or seeing the world as Jesus saw it. And, you know, that's why it's so important for us to read our Bibles. You've got to know what Jesus said. You've got to know how Jesus walked. What did he, because there's a lot of people out there that are trying to portray things that may not necessarily be Jesus. And that's who we are as the Lighthouse Church of Christ. We want to look at the Bible. We want to base our belief system on the Bible. Not on a tradition that's been passed down, but on living like Jesus. And so this is a common thought. And what was Jesus when he gathered his followers? What was his main moral value? What was his main thrust of his ministry? And he says it here in John 13. We've been looking at this for the last two weeks. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. Here's the bar. I gave it all. How'd you like to say that about our country in this Memorial Day weekend? I love the USA like the soldiers who gave their lives love this country. That's intense, isn't it? If you call yourself a Christian, if you associate yourself with Jesus, that's what Jesus is calling you to. I want you to love my people like I love my people, meaning you will be willing to give your life, not just get here on time, which is hard for us, but to give your life for people. And you must love one another by this, by this. This is how people are going to identify you. This is where you've got the, the tension between what Steve Jobs quoted and what Jesus is saying. By this, people are going to know who you are. By what? Love. What exudes out of you is love. And this, I just got to be honest, this, this series has challenged me. And what I'm going to talk about today will challenge you. It's going to make you feel uncomfortable. Defining characteristics, loving people. Now, what Jesus said, let's just be honest, this is hard. It's not easy. It's not an easy assignment for us to do that, particularly when you've got people that are different than you. Right. I don't know about you, but we're not the same. And sometimes loving people that are not like me. Is tough. Okay, and we also have people coming in from outside who are coming in and they got some stuff. They got some feelings. They got some baggage. And to love those people, it's tough. Okay, I'm sure it was tough to love me. I remember all the things that people had to put up with me. To love people the way God loves each one of us. That's a tall order. That's a tall order. Today, what we're going to talk about, and this is kind of the, the, where we're going, is how are we to act towards people who are outside the faith? How are we to treat them? And let me just say this. If you're visiting here today, you are going to love the message. Man, you're, this is probably going to be your best day at church. Because what you're going to say is, you're going to say, I've been telling you this. I've been telling you this. I've been saying it. I've been, I've been preaching it. I don't even preach and I've been preaching it. Right? Now for us that are followers of Jesus, this could be a tough one for us today. Okay? But that's what it's all about. Because we want to be like Jesus. Okay? We don't want to follow the crowd. And this has been the reason why I believe a lot of people have walked away from church. From a very young age, because what they saw didn't remind them of Jesus. How are we supposed to treat people on the outside that are not followers of Jesus? How do we need to to, to treat them? And then also we're going to hit on a little bit how to treat each other in here. Okay, insiders, outsiders. That's what we're talking about today. And so some of us may be a little unsettled. It's okay because you're going to end up in a good place afterwards. We're going to begin in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Look at what Jesus said. This was before he left the earth, his final 
words that he imparted to his apostles, to his disciples. There were 11 there at that time. And this is what he said to them. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Now, this is, this is big. Did he say, go and make Christians of all nations? No, because they never used the word. Jesus never used the word Christian because he was Christ. He said, disciples. Okay? I'm going to make disciples. Go and make disciples. Now, this word, this is where we're going to focus in on. This word, make. Make. The word make in the Greek means to cause someone to follow. For us, it means twist their arm until they say, uncle. Okay? I'm going to make you into a disciple. Now, that's not what the word means. The word means I'm going to cause you to become a follower of Jesus. I'm going to, I'm going to create that cause. You know, you've got a cause and effect. The cause is I'm going to impact your life so that you are going to voluntarily decide I want to do this. This is what I want to do because of the impact that you've had. To cause someone to become a pupil or a learner. And the followers of Jesus began living in such a way that people were drawn to follow Jesus. It was attractive. It was challenging. But it was attractive. They said, man, I can't believe the way these people live. This is amazing. The community that they have. And i got to share with you a story. I was in Mexico this past week, and there's a girl who's a family member. She's not a follower. She's not a, a, a Christian. She's, you know, outsider, right? Don't take expense. That's just a category. She's an outsider. She's been in Mexico for the last two months doing a kind of a work study. And she's been on campus. Guess who she's been hanging around with for the last two months? Yeah. She's been hanging around disciples, members of the church. She's not a follower. She's not a follower, but guess who she's hanging around with for two months? She goes to two midweek services a week and Sunday and Bible talk and their small group. I mean, she loves it. She's at everything. And, and one of the guys came up to her and said, so why are you coming to all this? I said, this is the place to be in Mexico City. I mean, these people, they're loving it's a great environment. You know, it's safe. I don't have to worry about, you know, if anything happening to me. And Mexico City is one of the dangerous, most dangerous cities in the world, right? You see it on the news. But man, you're around disciples and you're safe. She loves it. Because of that time, who knows when she gets back, she's going to want to come on over. But this is, this is what the message is. This is what they did for 300 years. Christians, the disciples, the followers lived this way. They drew people to the message. But then something terrible happened. Rome was drawn. The whole empire of Rome, they were drawn. But they said, you know what? Christianity is so awesome. We're going to make it the state religion. We're going we're to make it that everybody has to be a Christian. And it went terrible after that. Because basically... What they did was they forced everyone to follow Jesus. You've got to understand something. You can't force someone to follow Jesus. It's got to be a voluntary decision that you make and you accept all the consequences that go with it. Right? But they went really bad. And, 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 and because they made it the, 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 the state religion, they powered up. The church now had the power and they ruled and they modeled the leadership of the church so that it would be like the government. So you got two power sources. You got the government, the empire of Rome, and then you got the power of the state religion. And the crazy thing is they started leveraging other things instead of leveraging love. Here's a principle that you need to remember for all of us in the church. And for those of you outside, anytime the Jesus followers leverage anything other than love, 
We go backwards, not forwards. Anytime the followers of Jesus, Jesus leverage anything other than love, we go backwards instead of forward. You want a great example of this? This is what the Great Commission became after the power up in Rome. Look at what Jesus' words became. Therefore, go and impose my teaching, values, and worldview on all nations, threatening them with judgment, destruction, if they don't obey everything I command you. This is what happens. This is what a group says that has the power. And this is what they started to leverage instead of what Jesus intended to be leveraged. Now, I ask you today, any resemblings of that in our society? This is where it gets a little uncomfortable. As a church, what are we leveraging? This or what Jesus told us to leverage. Now, i got to confess, I've been a minister for 24 years. I've leveraged other things than love. And that's why this series has been so good for me. Because it's brought me down and saying, hey, what, what are we, what am I... As a, as a minister, what are we leveraging? What are we trying to, 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 to help this generation, 18 to 35, understand those that are pushing back from church, pushing back from religion, pushing back from God? What are we leveraging to bring them close to God versus what Jesus told us to leverage? And that's the message of a group that has the power and the control. That's not the message of Jesus, and that's not the message of the New Testament for those 300 years. And understand this, the West, basically from, from Judea all the way to the West, where Christianity spread for those first three centuries, the, rest, the West was won not by imposing and threatening. They didn't, that, that fledgling group of, of, of Christians or followers of Jesus, they didn't conquer and overthrow Rome by powering up. They loved people. And that's what turned them over. It was through Jesus' words. Remember what his words? By this, by this, by this, people will know you are my disciples. That's the characteristic. That's the quality that will overthrow empires, that will change the world. And that's what we've got to get back to as a church. Jesus exits. And he passed on his model, his leadership, his model of how the church is going to, to grow and how people are going to be impacted. He passes it on to the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul, he continues the model into the Gentile word, the non-Jewish world. And we're going to get a little excerpt of what he says. And here's how he did it in places like Corinth. Corinth was a, a, a city, a port city. Cor Corinth was like, like Vegas. What happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. It was a wild party city off the rails. You know, people were very, very immoral. It was like Sin City, just like Vegas. But look at what he says is he's he's in this context. He's in this place that they didn't necessarily need a new religion. They didn't need something else. They had their own religion. And look what he did when he went into the city. This was his message. This was his mission. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone so as to win as many as possible. So when Paul, he's an apostle, he's got the title, he's got the, he's got the place up there with Jesus. I'm among the 12. And at that time it was 13. He was among the top leadership of the church, right? And he's the man, he's the apostle to the Gentiles, most effective, most influential. He wrote most of the New Testament. Did he power up? What did he do? He powered down. 
He basically said this, I will do whatever I have to to win people. Now, this word win, this word win is huge. It's huge. And, and, and this, this, this idea, this heart, this spirit, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to win people back to Jesus. Whatever it means, I'm willing to do it. To the Jews, and he goes on and explains it there in the verses that follow. He says, to the Jews, I'll become a Jew. To the Gentiles, I'll become a Gentile. And to the weak, I'll even stoop down and become weak just like them. Why? To win as many as possible. Does this sound like imposing to you? Does this sound like threatening to you? Forcing people to follow? Does it sound like it to you? No, it doesn't. And he basically concludes, he says, I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. I'll do whatever it takes. Because I want people to have what I have. You know, some of you work in sales, right? How many of you work in sales? I just get, get an idea. Some kind of sales of some kind. A few people. I bet in one shape or form, you, you, a lot of you guys do business with other people. How do you win a contract? How do you win a contract? Basically, what you have to do when you present your product, you have to say, this is the best product out there. Forget about the competitors. This is it. We got the best price, the best service, and you got to prove it to them. It can't be all talk. You got to prove it, right? Those of us in sales, you got to do that. You got to present it and you got to convince them. You have to what? Win the contract. And if they understand it, believe it, see it, guess what they do? Mm, I'm in, right? People good in sales, they do that. It's the best. Now, let's change gears a little bit. How about those of you that have had or are in relationships? The Mary's in the group. How did you win her heart? How did you win his heart? Okay. Did you impose? Say, you, you better marry me? I don't think so. Not in this country. Okay. Maybe in another country, but not in this country. Right? How did you do it? How did you do it? Ted, how'd you do it? Ted, he convinced Cindy he's the best looking. Okay, you with me? He's most loving. He is the man of her dreams. And she bought it. Right? Hook. Line and sinker, she bought it. That's what you got to do, right? When you win, win someone's heart. If you've been in a relationship, you understand that. When Paul was talking about winning people, that's what he's talking about. That's what he's talking about. You, you win people. How do you win someone's heart? What's the best way to win someone's heart? Love. It's that simple. Love. How are we doing in that category? You know, we've been talking a lot the last two weeks, but we're going to get down to it. And, 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 and this is what he was willing to do. Paul was. He didn't power up, but he powered down. He says, I'll make myself whatever I have to. I will do whatever I have to do to help people get right with God. Whatever it means. And I want to ask us as a church. Are you willing to do whatever you need to do to help people get right with God? Don't shake your head and say amen too quickly. All right. It sounds good. But I can't say amen too quickly. Because tomorrow a situation is going to come along that's going to cost me. Right? Yeah, it's nice. It's easy to say here in church. Oh, yeah, I'm in. Yeah, 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 I'm in. What about tomorrow? When you're at work. And that's a tough situation. Are you ready to do whatever it takes? That person who intimidates you, that person that, you know, you go, oh, man, I don't know if I can talk to him or talk to her. She's a piece of work. Right. This is what Paul says. I don't care who it is. I'm willing to do it. 
Because it's about their soul. It's about them getting right with God. And those of us who follow Jesus, let's just bring us back a little bit. We think we've found something amazing. At least that's where I'm standing from. I don't know about you, but that's where I'm standing. I, I have found something amazing. What I have right here is amazing. I, I have peace with God. I believe you can have peace with God. I don't think you have to walk around worried about if something happens to you, what's going to be the end result? You can have peace with God. We think you can repair a broken marriage. I've seen it so many times. I've seen it thousands of times. I just got to go to Mexico and see people that I worked with 20 years ago that their marriage was a wreck. And to see now they got grown up kids. I'm saying this message, this fellowship is changing lives in different countries, languages all over the world. This is what I've seen. So if you're visiting here with us today, yes, I want you to have this. I want you to have this. And we feel compelled to tell you about it. We want to share with you about it. But sometimes our approach can get confused. How we come across to people on the outside. You know what I'm talking about? Are you with me on this? How we treat people. How we talk to them. It can get confusing. Paul teaches us the approach to helping people on the outside in this next verse that we're going to look at. There's actually four letters to the to the church in Corinth. Historians will agree because there's places where it refers to other letters in the book of Corinth. Two of them got lost. We lost them. I didn't lose them, but they got they got lost over time. Okay, but we still have two. Isn't that great that we still have two? But there were four. Two got lost through time. And these two that survived, we can look at and we can get a picture of how Paul's approach to dealing with people on the outside and how to deal with people on the inside of Christianity. Those followers, insiders, outsiders. And as I said, Corinth was like a place like Vegas. And, then, and in this church, Paul was there. He was a missionary. He left. And then, you know, as missionaries do, just like me, when I, I was a missionary in Mexico, guess what? People call me, people write me an email and they say, we've got a problem, we've got a situation. And so many times I have to go there and help them with their problem and help iron out some of the wrinkles, get the Bible out and say, hey, guys, this is what Jesus taught. This is how you need to resolve this situation. But in this particular report that Paul got, it was something really bad happening in the church. And it was probably a smaller community, about 50 people, where people knew each other. They knew each other's lives and it was going on, right? Because when you're in a smaller community, not like sometimes here in this church where you got somebody in the back and who knows what they're doing. They can just walk in, walk out, and they can have a whole lot of stuff going on and you might not know. But in this situation, people knew. And he got word of it. And it was so bad that even people outside of the church considered it bad. That's how bad it was. Don't you want to know what it is? I want to know what it is. And so he's addressing this issue. And we receive from this way he addresses this issue. We get some teaching, some theology about how we should treat people on the outside. And so let's dive in. First Corinthians chapter five, verse one. Here's Paul addressing the issue. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans don't tolerate. And, and here's an important thing. Everybody, everybody has standards. I don't care how bad you are. I don't care how off the rails you are, how liberal you are, your liberal morality. It doesn't matter. You still got standards, right? This situation was so bad that the people outside were saying, "Ooh, gross, that's nasty what's happening. That's outsiders, how they saw it. Everybody's got standards. Followers of Jesus have standards. In this situation, Romans had standards. Greeks had standards. This was outside of all those standards. Don't you want to know what it is? All right, well, let's, let's see what it is. 
It's actually reported. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. And you are proud. Should you not rather have gone into mourning and put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? This guy in the church sitting in the back. Was having a intimate relationship with his father's wife. Even people on the outside were like, man, that's not good. That's bad. That's dark. And it wasn't with his mom. Okay, so, you know, that that makes feel a little bit better. It's probably his. It's probably his stepmother, meaning the woman who his father married after his mother. Right. Maybe they got a divorce or maybe she passed away. But this was bad. And he's dealing with this. And basically he's saying, listen, this can't go on in the church. You got this guy. You got to tell him. You got to say, listen, if you want to live this lifestyle that you're living with your stepmom, you can't do it here. You can't do it in the church. This is outside of our moral value. This is outside of what Jesus taught. So he tells him, I want you to put this guy out of the church. And he goes on to say in verse verse three, as one who is present with you in this way, I've already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. Wow. So, Paul, you are judging this guy. The big J word. How do you feel about the J word? Right? No, we don't feel good about it, right? But you got to understand something. And, and this, is, this, is the, this is the text. Judgment. The Bible says we're not to judge, right? This is what people would argue. It says, but doesn't the Bible say, do not judge? Do not judge, right? Don't judge me. Don't, don't judge, Ted. Don't judge me. Okay, that's what the Bible says, right? And and Paul's saying, listen, I'm writing the Bible. I'm writing the Bible. This is this is and this is where we got to understand what judgment's all about. The Bible does not tell us not to judge. But it tells us who to judge. The Bible doesn't tell us not to judge. It tells us who to judge. And you're going to see this crystal clear in this next passage. This guy signed on to follow Jesus. He was a follower of Jesus. He was a disciple at one time. And for some reason, he got off the rails, pulled off the side of the road, and he's just out there going and doing crazy, lost his mind, lost his relationship with God, lost his values. He's all about, you know, the flesh. He's an insider. How does Paul tell us to treat insiders? You got to talk to them. You got to have a face to face. And you got to let them know. This isn't the practice. And as I've said, if you want to live that kind of life, you can't do it here. Now, we've had to do this occasionally in our church. It's the hardest thing. Let me just say as a minister, this is the hardest thing that I have to do as a minister. I mean, it's rough. It is not easy to do. But that's what the Bible's saying. When people are not living the life that Jesus called them to live and they understand, you've got to let them know. You've got to talk about it. And here's, a, here's the thing. You know, for us that, that look at the Bible and we look at what, what, what sin is, what things that are not right in here among us and the insiders, we have this conviction. Sin Sin has a consequence. It always does. Someone gets hurt when you sin. God. Others. And eventually, guess who? You. It always comes full circle. I know this. See, I didn't read the Bible when I was outside. When I was an outsider, I didn't read the Bible at that time very much. But I knew sin was wrong. Because I suffered the consequences of what my things that I was doing that were morally wrong. They were hurting people. They were hurting me at the end of the road. And then I came to the conviction, sin has a consequence. 
And I wasn't a Christian. I wasn't a follower of Jesus. I, I gained that conviction by realizing, you know, I am hurting people, people that I love dearly. I don't want to do this anymore. Sin has a consequence. And for some of us, it starts out as fun, right? I'm just having fun. And then it becomes an addiction. Now it's not fun anymore because you got a problem and you can't kick it, right? And some relationships, they get started out. Great, 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 great. And now, bad, bad, bad. It's turned into a nightmare, this relationship. Because it wasn't done God's way. And this is a reality. Sin always, it always has a consequence. Even if you're not religious. You can believe whatever you want, but you've got to understand, God has set values in place for your benefit and for the benefit of people around you. So you don't hurt them, so you don't hurt him, so you don't hurt yourself. These are facts. They're not disputable points and issues. They will come full circle and there will be a consequence. So look what he says. He goes on down. And, and before, we're not going to read it, but he basically says, I want you to turn this guy over to Satan. Whoa. And basically what he's doing, I want to present to you your new parole officer. Your new parole officer is going to be Satan himself. That's what Paul says. That's strong. And the whole heart behind it was, I'm going to turn this guy over because he needs to hit some walls. He needs to figure some things out. He needs to suffer a little bit. And then, hopefully, if he learns his lesson, he can come back. And there can be, you know, and how many people have we seen come back after walking and falling and messing up? A lot. It happens a lot in our church. We don't want it to happen, but it happens. Then he goes on in verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with people who are sexually immoral. Now, I wrote to you in my letter. He's referring to what? The previous letter. You see, there was another letter. And so he's sitting down and he's thinking, I think they got something confused by what I wrote in my first letter. So let me straighten this out. Let me make sure they understood it. You know, because sometimes we do that with lessons, you know, with this Christian series. We think one thing when you come back the next week and say, hey, let me let me iron some things out for you, because maybe you didn't understand what I meant. That's what he's doing. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexual immoral, sexually immoral people, not at all, meaning the people of this world who are immoral. In that case, you'd have to leave this world. Right. You have to go live on a mountain somewhere with the monks, right? Couldn't have contact. You know, some of you felt this. You, you, you're following Jesus and you go to work and you're like, man, these people are, these people are crazy, right? These people, they, they have no values whatsoever. And you're like, oh, I don't want to be here. There's a guy that uh, in Mexico, he was sharing with me what's happening in his workplace. And he works in a financial management company. And his director's getting fired. The director of sales is getting fired. The accountant's getting fired. And he's right in the middle. And he's looking around. He's going, whoa. All these people are getting fired because of corruption. They're embezzling money from the company. And see, he's a disciple. And so they're like, the, 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 the CEO comes to him and says, hey, listen, I need you to help me with this. I need you to help me unravel all of this. And it's scary for him. Because he's got to put people on the hook. For crimes. They're all getting fired. And he's probably going to get a promotion. But, oh. But, you know, you can feel that. Man, I don't like working here. I don't like being around so many people that are in school. You know? It's tough. If you've got certain values, what about those people around you? The way they talk, the way they act. Man, this is. But what's Paul saying? He says, you have to like leave these people. Not, ooh, I won't have anything to do with you. No, he's not saying that. You've you got you to gotta coexist with these people. you got to live with these people. You read on verse 11. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a 
brother. Didn't use Christian again. He said brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy or idolater or slander or drunkard or swindler. Don't even eat with such people. So who's he talking about? He's talking about people inside. People that say they're insiders. People that are, that are supposed to be on the same walk with you. Those are the people that you need to let them know. Hey, this way you're living is not right. And you don't do it out of judgment, that, that, that nasty, bad judgment. You're doing it out of love. You're saying, listen, this isn't good. This is going to hurt you. It's, it's affecting our fellowship. It's affecting our friendship. It's affecting our church. Dude, this is your reputation. You're, you're, you're a billboard for Christianity. You're a billboard for our church. And look what you're doing. You signed on for this. You decided. You volunteered. And then he finishes. This is huge. Verse 12. You know, and some of you may, you may feel uncomfortable with this, but I would encourage you. Go home. Get your B-I-B-L-E out and read it. Read what it says. This is not my viewpoint. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying. Verse 12, he says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? I mean, can I really go around pointing my finger at people who've not signed on, who've not decided, who've not said, I want to make Jesus Lord of my life? He's saying, no. You don't do that. He's saying, me, I'm an apostle. I'm a super apostle. I'm spreading the word all over the non-Jew area. It's not my place to impose my worldview, my moral view on those people on the outside. Why is this so significant? Because we, we as a church, over many, many years, are really good at this. In fact, we're so good at imposing our views on people outside the church that we neglect to take care of who? Yeah, people inside the church. Paul's basically saying here, I don't want you to deal with people outside. I want you to deal with people inside. Which means to love your brother means to get involved, roll up your sleeves and say, listen, I got to tell you because you're hurting God. You're hurting your own relationship. But people on the outside, what am I to do with them? Love them. Draw them. Draw them back. And this is a huge principle. How are you to treat outsiders? You can't point your finger at them. They haven't signed. And this is, you got to understand, this is why a lot of people don't want anything to do with Christianity in our country, around the world. This is what they've seen. Oh, yeah, these Christians, man, they want to go around and change the laws. You know, it was funny. It was funny. We were watching this, uh, this, this, you know, uh, musical that my daughter was in in the high school that she's in, uh, you know, and, and they've got this character in the musical. She's a she's a religious woman. Right. And it's typical. You got the same thing in Footloose. And and, and, and this one was all about the Elvis Presley songs. Uh, all shook up. They did. OK. And it's about teenage, you know, getting out there and dancing around and everything. But there's this character in the play. She's this religious woman. Right. And she's wanting to impose. And I'm like, this is crazy. I'm preaching on this tomorrow and it's in the play tonight. And I'm going, yeah, this is what people see. I probably think most people are walking out of the theater going, yeah, that's Christianity. Yep, Perfect. And this girl who did the the the. the Apart, I mean, wow, she was awesome. You really hated her, right? Sarah, Sarah, you were in it too, right? Sarah was in it. You hated this girl, poor girl, you know. But she was a great actor because actress because that's what you're supposed to do. But she 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 passed all these agendas for their town. No dancing, no no kissing. No, 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 no. And she's go- want, going around 
and, and pointing a finger at everybody. And what do you think people are going to feel about Christianity with that? I understand the motivation in the heart, but what Paul's saying is they didn't expect non-Jesus followers to behave like Jesus followers. I can't expect somebody who hasn't decided to follow Jesus to behave like someone who's following Jesus. I don't care how right it is. It is right. I believe it. But I can't impress upon them those moral views when they haven't signed on. And what do we do then? You love them. And we take care of business here in the church so much that we have great examples. Not perfect. We have great examples. Guess that what does that guess what that does to people on the outside as they look in? Wow. Look at that marriage. Look at that life. And he goes on, verse 13. Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those on the outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. So in here, you know, and we say, well, do not judge. No, you don't judge people on the outside. But in here, we have a responsibility to help each other. To talk to each other. That is love. And you know what? i got to say this. I'm grateful that people have talked to me when I've needed to be talked to. And it always needs to be done out of love. Right? Hey, I want to help you. I want to help you see some things. But Paul's saying it's none of my business to judge those people outside. Now, let me explain a, a parallel of this. For parents and for those of us who've had parents, I think that would include all of us, wouldn't it? Yeah, you've either been had a parent or you're a parent, right? Every household has rules, right? Everybody. It may have real loose. Lucy, I, I want to be in that family, man, because they have no rules. Yeah, they got rules. It may not be the same. But I'll give you an example. I have rules in our household. You do your homework. Right? If you get homework from school, you do your homework. That's kind of how, how it goes. But would it be right for me to go to your house? And if your kids aren't doing their homework, saying, you need to do your homework. Or to impose my views, my views, the way I do things in my household on your kids? No. It's not your, it's not, that's not my household. It's your household. You, you've got to deal with your household. Every family's like that. That's what Paul's saying. This is our household. This is our Christian household. This is what we believe. And we've got to impose these things on us. But if people are not in our church, what business is ours? Well, that means you're going to have to condone everything. No, 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 no. Trust me. I don't have to condone everything. I'm just not going to judge them. Because who's going to do the judging? There you go. Who's going to do the judging? God is, not you. And then this is for us, the insiders. Ephesians 4.15. Instead, speaking the truth in love. Speak the truth. You know, all of us need truth tellers in our lives. You know what a trainer is? A good trainer? You know what he's going to tell you? How many of us have had a trainer? Oh, yeah. What do they tell you? They tell you the truth. You're not pushing it. And if you get a good trainer, you know what you do? You get on the machine and, and then you, you put the weight on, right? And they come over and they go, no, I'm afraid not. Mm. You know, they, they, they put some more weight on there. And guess what? You're like, oh, oh, yeah. But you're grateful after about a month. Because then you get into shape. But you do it on your own. You never get in shape. You're like, you know. This is great, man. I love working out. Doesn't do me a bit of good, but I love working out. They push you. You need to be trainers in here. Now, obviously, you've got to want it more than somebody else. Some of us don't want it. We don't want to become like Jesus. We're satisfied. I'm me. Yeah, but Jesus didn't die for you to be you. He died for you to become more like him. So let's, let's wrap this up. 
Are you ready? Because it's time for Memorial Day weekend. Here's the phrase I want you to stick, okay? Now, I know, it's kind of religious. Now, we're going to do a little exercise. It's the best I could do, all right? It's the best, the best we could do. You know, have you ever been to a church where people, they say amen in the service? I mean, a bunch of people. And I'll go to some churches and they'll say, amen, amen. I'll say, well, hold it down. I can't even think you're talking too much. And I don't, you know, I know you don't mean amen. You know, but some of us were raised in, in, in that kind of environment where everybody says, amen, and yeah, and tell it. And I've even had people say stronger things than that. Remember, in Mexico, we had to tone it down, tone it. Because people yell stuff out. And you're like, whoa. If an outsider came into the service, they'd be like, what is this place? Right? But we're going to turn you loose now. Okay? So I'm going to say this phrase, and you're going to say, no, not like that. Like you mean it. Okay, you ready? Judge the believing, not the heathen. Great job. Now, this is your take home. This is your faith and action point. Judge the believing, not the heathen. Now, don't go around telling people they're heathens, okay? That's not going to work very good. What are you going to do with the heathen? Love them. You know, when I was preparing this lesson, I, I had to go back in time a little bit. And I got a little emotional. Because I remembered when I was a teenager. And I used to listen to, to rock music that was just loud. I had these huge speakers on the top of my bookshelf, man. And it would shake the whole house. You know, I had thousands of watts. You know, running through there and these big woofer speakers and they would move in and out. Right? Remember that? That's old school. Some of you remember that. Man, I used to love some of my, my rock music. You just like, mm, feel it inside your core, right? And some of the lyrics were not that good. You know? About highway to hell and all these other things and... I probably wouldn't listen to that music now, but when I did, I was on the outside. And I remember, I remember my brother-in-laws, both of them were ministers. And they'd come over to the house every once in a while. And they'd come over and they'd talk to me and they'd say, so how's it going? And man, I was, in, I, was, I was doing bad. I was doing really bad stuff. It was obvious. I was off the rails. You know what they would do? They would come into my room with me. And they would listen to this music with me and we'd talk about the music. I know they hated it. They hated the music, man. It, it's, it goes against everything about Jesus and, and, and morale. It goes completely against it. But they would sit there and they go, wow, that's really awesome music. Now, I'm sure they didn't appreciate the lyrics, but the, the licks on the guitar and the drummer and the, and, the, and, the, and the sound. And they're like, wow, you know, they'd sit there and they'd sit there for, you know, half hour enduring. <laughs> Man, just breaking your drum ear that loud. And they would sit there with me. Because you know what they were doing with me? They were loving me. They didn't judge me. They loved me. And it made me so grateful. Because that's how I came. See, I came to the church because someone drew me. Someone won me into the church. And I'm saying today we can begin a brand new chapter, go back to the first century and be what they did. Because most of us, most of us, we came to Jesus that way. You were drawn. You saw that marriage. You saw that family. You saw that love. And you saw you needed it. And it drew you in. So let's judge the believing, not the heathen. And that is... 
Christianity in its original form. Disciples. Followers of Jesus. That's what they did. And today we can begin a new chapter in our history of loving people. Leveraging love, not all that other stuff. Because let me tell you, can you imagine, can you imagine what it would be like if Christianity would have stopped, would have never stopped, if they'd have never stopped leveraging love And instead of all those other things, what would Christianity be today in our country if they wouldn't have stopped leveraging love? Wow. The next generation, they'd be coming to the church in droves. They'd say, man, I need this. So let's be a church that, like Paul, I'm willing to do anything to win as many as possible. Let's pray for the communion. Our Father God, we thank you so much for your word that really helps us out because we get off track. God, help us to follow Jesus' model. Forgive us, forgive me for the times that I have leveraged other things instead of love. And I pray that today, Father, that we can Take care of those of us inside and love those that are outside. I pray for our friends here visiting with us, God, that they can feel your love. I do pray, Father, that you'll please uh, bless our walk with you. Thank you that Jesus died and gave his body and his blood and that we can remember him now in the communion. Father, I do pray for you to please give us a new beginning as a church and as individuals. Thank you, God, for your teaching, for your words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.